If you love church, can I hear you say, I love church? My name is Andrea Isaacs, and I want to just give you another big shout out and welcome to Hope City Church. My husband, Jason, is the pastor here, and he wanted to make sure that I extended a welcome to every single one of you. He is headed to Guatemala today. Um, with a team of about 15 other people that we have sent out. They left this morning, and they are on their way to Casa Shalom Orphanage, which is very near and dear to our hearts. Uh, But they are, I think, especially excited because it is a trip designed for parents and kids. Um, This is the first kind of mission trip like this that we've done at Hope City Church. We've been going to the orphanage for about five years now, um, so we love it down there. But my eight-year-old daughter is with him. Can you believe that? Pretty awesome. So we are praying, obviously, for their protection, but we're just asking God to open up the eyes of all of these kids who are on this trip, that they would just have a huge worldview, that they would recognize that it is so much more about what we can do for others than what we can do for ourselves. So it's a big trip. Um, Just um, think about them. Uh, They will be gone all week. If you'll just remember to kind of pray for them and um, think about them, uh, I just, I know it's going to be big. I know it's going to be really good uh, for that whole crew. And then yesterday, oh my goodness, Bless Back was so good. Wave at me if you were a part of Bless Back. Wave at me. Yes. Yesterday was year nine for us doing what is called our Bless Back Project. And we're really proud about that around here. Um, In case you do not know what it is, we look for an opportunity every summer to help kids who maybe come from single parent homes or um, a, a different socioeconomic group that needs just additional love and care and support getting ready for school. We know that that can be hard for families. And so we served 227 students yesterday. Pretty amazing, yes. Because of you and your generosity, we gave away backpacks filled with school supplies. We um, bought uniforms and had uniforms for every single student. They got haircuts, um, and we fed their entire families a meal. And then this year, we added um, another piece that we're really excited about. It was our Scholastic Book Fair. And every student that walked through got to look at all of those beautiful books and take one home um, free of charge to to their families. So yes, it's been a big deal. And uh, we do not want to rush past that. We get excited about it around here and we have been talking about it all summer. So I just wanted to convey that to all of you today. Again, my name is Andrea. Super glad you're here. And if you have been with us at all this summer, you know that we have been talking um, about a series called Making Sense of Spiritual Things. Has this been good for you guys these last six weeks? We just wanted to break down some of the bigger concepts in Christianity that you um, maybe hear people talk about, but you might not exactly know why we do what we do or how we do what we do. So we talked about the Bible. We talked about worship. We talked about the Holy Spirit and generosity. And today we're talking about the church capital and a group who can I think the fact that we get to celebrate a team going to Guatemala and a group who came through yesterday for Bless Back and the fact that we're gathered here today, we've just had an entire weekend of getting to see what the church is about. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit more in detail, but right out of the gate, I just want to affirm each one of you who are a part of Hope City Church um, that you are doing something that is bigger than yourself. 
But as I was thinking about our crew that is on airplanes and leaving the country, um, I, I started thinking about my own experience. My dad actually works for Delta Airlines, um, which is really cool. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, so I, I really had a neat opportunity for most of my life to be able to fly. Now, as a kid, I did not know that that was special. Like it just kind of was a part of my um, kid experience, which I get now is really interesting. Um, but see if you can kind of relate to this. If you've ever been on an airplane, you're always kind of like crossing your fingers like, I need an aisle seat. I need an aisle seat. I need an aisle seat. And man, it just seems to like never fail that I get stuck in the middle. So here I am, my big, huge, long legs, and always trying to like, you know, scoot my way into that middle seat. And I'm just like always thinking in my head, like, please just don't talk to me. Like, I, I have four kids, and I am, like, around people a lot, even though I love people. Like, when I'm on a plane, I kind of even wish there was, like, slides that I could, like, pull up out of the seats and, like, don't talk to me. So this is terrible. I realize that this is a terrible thing. And so, you know, we do things like put headphones in, like, hoping that that is a social cue, like, just leave me alone. But it never fails. Maybe I have, like, a big tag on my back or something like that. But people are always trying to talk to me on the airplane. So, you know, like, the first question, so what do you do? Um, where I'm, like, always faced with this awkward moment um, where I'm like, do I want, oh, man, like, how do I even explain this? I don't, I, sometimes I don't know what I do. Do you, you ever feel that way? You're like, I'm a motivational speaker. I'm a taxi driver. I'm a, you know, lifetime encourager. I don't know. What, what do I do? I don't know how to even tell you what I do. But as I was working on this message, I tried to kind of look at that a little bit more closely. And if I can just be honest with you this morning for just a few moments, I think that there is this small piece of me that doesn't mind being called a Christian, but there's a little bit of hesitancy to say, I work at a church. And as I'm unpacking that in myself, I start trying to figure out why that is. What is it inside of me that there is just this small pause where I'm like, oh, do I really want to like divulge to a complete stranger that I work at a church? And this is an interesting kind of like dichotomy. I love what I do and it's a privilege and it's an honor. But where is it inside of me that goes, if I open up this conversation, am I going to feel like that I have to defend all of the comments that could come? See, the reality is we live in a culture and in a time where maybe for a lot of people, organized religion isn't a positive. When we start talking about things like the church, capital C, that for some people, that isn't a good thing. And so today, I want so very much for each one of us to take on a different mindset and become huge advocates of the church and be in a place where we boldly and without, that is a living, yes, 
I am a part of the body of believers that is a living, breathing organism that is 2,000 plus years old and that will go on advancing forward way beyond my years and my days. I so want that for each one of us today. And I understand coming to this conversation that church being imperfect makes some of us despair, but the reason that the church is imperfect is because it is made up of imperfect people. And instead of us shying away from that or feeling like we have to apologize or explain it away, I think that we should take it as an opportunity to honor and recognize the fact that Jesus started the church with imperfect people should make us see God's incredible grace in our own lives. Amen? God wants to do something huge, and we are holding him back every time we shy away from holding up Christianity and the church as a positive thing. The supernatural power of God means that he could have done it a different way. Let me explain what I mean. He could have chosen to grow his body of believers or spread the gospel by being a loud, invisible, booming voice that everyone in the world had no choice but to listen to. He could have done it by skywriting it for everybody to see. He could have done it any numerous uh, amount of supernatural ways, but he chose for us to be the way that the gospel and the story is told. He invites us to engage. He asks us to take that on as individuals. And I am tired of feeling like I need to apologize for being a part of something that is beautiful and wonderful and great in this world. As a whole, that I don't think that we talk about enough if we look at the church as a whole over the last several thousand years, we see that it is responsible for things like charities and hospitals and nonprofits and social justice movements. If we look at the church the way that it's actually presented in the New Testament, we see that it is a place that is inclusive of all, not exclusive of anyone. We see that it is a place that welcomes children and men and women and people from different socioeconomic statuses and public figures and those who have no title whatsoever. We see that the church was made to be a safe haven for all. In 1 Thessalonians, we get to witness an eruption of one of the greatest movements in human history when we see the start of the early church. And I want us to take a look at this for just a moment. First Thessalonians verse one, it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're writing to the church of the Thessalonians in the name of God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say, grace and peace to you. So just here's a little Bible teaching for you for just a moment, if we take a look at this. It's a letter, do you see how it's written? Okay, in case, in case you know, maybe, you haven't unpacked the New Testament before. First Thessalonians is literally a letter that is written by Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And then we see who they're talking to. To the church of the Thessalonians. So that would be like if it said Andrea, and then it said to Hope City Church, right? That would be the comparison. 
and it's a greeting. It says, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're wishing them well. Grace and peace to you, right? So this, we can see kind of the camaraderie here. We see their genuine affection for one another, okay? But something that I want to point out today, and I want us to take notice of, is that there are three authors, and then some of the, most of the New Testament we know is written by Paul, and then some of the other um, books and letters are written by, by different authors, but I love that 1 Thessalonians is written by this trio of believers, okay? And I think, and I want to challenge us today to maybe recognize that this is another, yet another example of how valuable it is to come together and to be in relationship. You see, Paul, he had quite a reputation on his own and in his own right. He had a brand. People knew who he was. He was a mighty force to be reckoned with all throughout the New Testament. I mean, he is like doing it and doing it hard, like going all out. But even Paul recognized that for me to accomplish everything that God is calling me to, I have to invite other people along the journey. I have to figure out a way to be inclusive of others. Paul was a talented guy. He is probably even credited with being the founding father of the church. Okay, big C. But he could not do it alone. He could not do it by himself. He did not have enough time, talent, or money to accomplish what had to be accomplished. And I want us to embrace that today. He says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's just another piece, if you'll um, let me kind of extract this for just a minute. This is another example of what should be happening in the church. First of all, he's saying, we're grateful for all of you. He's not pointing out like, we're so glad that you're a part of the church, but like we've got some questions about these other people over here. No, again, inclusion. We are grateful for all of you people that we prioritize pray for you. See, there is a direct connection between the people that we prioritize and pray for. That there should be this burden that when I go to the Lord, that I'm not saying, God, I just pray that you help me to feel better today. God, I just pray that you help me to have enough money to pay my bills. God, I pray that you keep my children safe. That might be true, and I may be praying those prayers, but there should be a burden that I have. God, I just pray for Jenna today, Father, that you direct her steps, that you're encouraging her and pouring over her. Father, I just pray for John and his work situation right now. God, I know that he's struggling, but Father, I just pray that you give him the strength that he needs. Father, I lift up Allie today. God, as she interacts with her clients, just help her to share the love of Jesus Christ. Father, help her to be bold in her faith. I should be burdened, and I should be mentioning you in prayer, and you should be doing the same for me. And then I love this. It says, a work produced by faith, 
okay? The things that I'm working towards, the things that I'm putting my hands to, I have to have faith that God is going to do something phenomenal with that work, that he's going to do something supernatural. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to have a strong work ethic, but I'm going to believe that God is going to come in and make that go even further than I could ever make it go. Amen? So I should be doing my work in faith, and it says my labor should be prompted by love. Wow. How much of what you are putting your energy towards, labor, is directly connected to the love that you have for other people. So let me tell you how this works in our family. My husband, I believe, is absolutely gifted to inspire others, to create content, and to deliver that content in various platforms. We carve out time in our family for him to be able to get away and do that. That means he has to have time to write and to be creative would be, I believe. So we make time for that in our family. Another example would be, I believe that God hardwired me to love on and encourage people. So when I get a phone call from somebody who says, is there any way that we could meet up? I'm just really struggling right now. We recognize in our family that we have to carve out time for that to happen because it's a labor of love. It's a labor of love. So whatever you feel like in your life that God is calling you to, we have to support one another in that. We have to find ways to carve out time for our, that, that, let, let me just put it this way. I think it's super tempting. Everything else can have a priority above the things that God is asking us to do. And I know that's harsh. But here's how I think it works a lot of times for us. We feel crunched in our finances, and so it feels like the obvious solution is to work overtime. We feel pressure for our kids to be successful, so we feel like the obvious answer is to plug them into every possible extracurricular activity that we can find. We feel pressure from our families to attend every single event um, that's out there. And so we put pressure to make that happen. And what a lot of times falls to the wayside is the church and our family of believers. Instead of putting everything through a lens that says, God, where do you need me today? What should I be doing today? And then filtering everything else and prioritizing other things through that lens. The third thing that he talks about is your endurance inspired by hope. I am the first one to acknowledge that life is draining that our jobs, our kids, our family members, our circumstances, like everything is vying for your attention. So how do we endure? It's asking you to spin your wheels more and exert more energy. So how do we endure? How do we press on? How do we have perseverance and keep going? Hope. And the most authentic place for hope is Jesus Christ. The most renewing and authentic place for hope is Jesus Christ. So Paul is seeing all of those things happening in the Thessalonians. And I want us to keep those in mind, that our work is, is, is connected to our faith, the, the labor is connected to love and our endurance. How do we keep doing all of those things? Hope that we find in Jesus Christ. Listen, 
I know that sometimes when you read scripture and you read the Bible, it can feel like, well, that's not working in my life. We read these promises or different passages and we're like, yes, I want that in my life. But we have in a lot of ways and in a lot of instances, we've isolated it to thinking it's all I. And that's not how scripture works. The Bible and the promises are for a people of God. All the way back to the Old Testament when we have the Hebrews and the Israelites and God's chosen people, right? He wasn't making promises just to individuals. He was looking at it collectively. And then in the New Testament, we know that we can be a part of that body of believers when we accept Jesus Christ. So I want us to think that it should all be through a prioritizing and a lens of us collectively. What is God trying to do in us and for us and through us? today. I also know that there are several of you who are still trying to do life alone. That maybe we say it's our personality or it's our preference or it's our comfort zone. I'm just going to hang right here and I'm going to do me. Right? Let me challenge you today that you are not created to be alone that you are not created to be isolated, but that is um, pulling you to something that is bigger than yourself. And I think that that is um, challenging and scary and intimidating at times. But let's look at what Jesus said. In Matthew 28, we literally get Jesus setting up what church is supposed to look like. In Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here again, we get another precedent for how this is supposed to happen. Listen, it is always going to be tempting to think that church is a service or an experience. And the church is, church is not, hear me, it is not something that you do, it is who you are. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. And we have been commanded by Jesus to go and make disciples in all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teach them to obey. Jesus modeled it perfectly for us. He found 12, he invested in that 12, and then he expected that 12 to go out and do the same and to encourage whoever they discipled to go and do the same thing and then to encourage whoever they discipled to go and do the same thing. And I have a little bit of a soapbox that I need you guys to let me vent about for one second. Can we do that? Is that okay? I hear a lot. I need a mentor. I would love to have a mentor. I just really need a mentor. I need to find a mentor. I would love to have somebody to pour into me. I'm just looking for a mentor. And while I love that people want to be taught and trained and encouraged, and I think that's important, I would say and encourage you today, go be a mentor. You will have the people in your life that you need to have in your life who have a lot. Very, very, very often, I feel like there are so many of you who have a lot to offer and to teach and to show other people. And listen, you do not have to have it all together, okay? 
One of the principles in teaching is that when you teach something to someone else, you learn it. Like, you understand it better. And so when we make excuses like, how in the world am I supposed to disciple somebody? I just became a Christian. Right? When you decide to lock arms with somebody and walk and do life with them, just teach them what you do know and figure it out together. Keep coming back to the Bible. Keep asking questions. Keep looking for godly examples in your life that you can model yourself after. But we have to do this together. We have to be discipling. So I want you to think. I want you to actually kind of go through your mind. Who are you pouring into right now? Who are you saying and helping to love Jesus more? Even if you yourself might be new to the faith. This is the very first thing. It doesn't say baptize them, uh, teach them to obey. The very first thing that he says is go make disciples. So from the onset, that's what we should be doing. I've even, listen, I've heard people say that the church isn't biblical, right? Maybe they have issues with like organized religion and it's like a really, really popular idea right now to be a loner and like to disassociate from um, organization and, and things like that. I would challenge us to know that Christianity is directly connected to the church. In other words, you cannot call yourself a Christian, but then say, I don't want anything to do with the church. They are one in the same. And here's, here's a thought, okay? In the beginning, like early church, when the church is springing up, you know, just over 2,000 years ago, if you called yourself a Christian, you better really be willing to like go to bat coming for you there was legitimately people who were coming for you if you called yourself a Christian. And God knew that that would be the case, so he sets up this structure, the church, because he knew that people would need a safe place. He knew that people were gonna have to gather with like-minded people if they were going to survive. And I think while we might not have the fear of walking out of here and being arrested for our faith, I do think that we are still facing lots and lots of challenges. You might walk out of here and check your bank account and it's negative. You might walk out of here and get a text from your ex-spouse and they just berate you. You might get a call from your son or daughter who's in a ton of trouble and you're super discouraged about it. The church should be the epicenter where you find authentic relationship and people who are loving you no matter what. And I know that that might not be the case and the experience for all of us, but I am determined to help rewrite the narrative and I cannot do it alone. You have to be a part of that and you have to be passionate about saying, God, do something in me that transpires outside and, and, and is bigger than I am, okay? Listen, even as I was putting this message together this week, I'm getting text messages from people whose marriages are struggling. I'm talking a friend through a, a, a newborn baby who's having health issues. I'm checking in on someone else who's feeling really called to adoption and feels like that that's what God has for their life and for their family, but they're facing all of these doors shutting. That is the church, you hear what I'm saying? You have to look around at the faces and the people who are in this building and go, how can I help you? What do you need? Where are you at right now? 
Come on, let's do this. We're in it together. And there has to be like a sense of urgency about it. There has to be like a, a real burden about the fact that you are not alone and I am not alone. Listen, Jason and I can process a lot of text messages. Well, you have to look, handle all of them, okay? You have to take on that burden as well. You have to look around and say, what am I doing to embody the church? Okay, here's our, here's our phrase. You ready for it? Church isn't me, it's we. The church is we, not me. You have to have that mindset. You have to be thinking through that. Okay, listen, when you tell people that you go to Hope City Church, let's say you're talking about it in your office, you're hanging out with your coworkers, and it comes up. And you're talking about, yeah, I go to Hope City Church. Where If the people that you are talking to, if they think to themselves, man, that's interesting. You're like the most negative person I've ever met. We have a problem. We have a problem. If we're going to make a difference and we're going, listen, the Bible says that we're supposed to be salt and light. Here's what I take that to mean. I, if I am salt, I should be making people thirsty. I should be making people so thirsty to know why my life is different and how my life is different. If I'm supposed to be salt and light, that means that wherever I go, I should be bringing hope and light to dark places all the time, without exception. My marriage should be stronger, not because I fell in love with my soulmate, but because I have a body of believers who are holding me accountable and helping me to walk through seasons when my marriage might be struggling, okay? Because here's what happens. If the world looks at Christians and we don't look any more joyful and we don't look any more peaceful and we don't look any more uh, rooted in our beliefs and in our attitudes of, of generosity and hope and love, why would they ever want to be a part of that? And I honestly am so sick of our four Christians and the church being noted for what they are against instead of what they are for. I need us to work on this. I need you to think of yourself as an ambassador. I need you to be in your families, your extended families, your jobs, your neighborhoods, and I need you to be thinking, how am I representing the church? How am I modeling myself after Christ? What am I doing to make people thirsty? My finances should be in order because I know how to be a good steward of what God has given me. Not because I'm trying to store everything away and have a cushy retirement. But I want my life in every area, the way I parent, my generosity, my behavior in the office, I need all of it to reflect Christ and what he was really about. We have to redefine what church is and the value of church. If a church is in a community, that community should be better. If a church is connected to another organization or, or another situation, that situation should be better because of the church. Listen, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. 
do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. Here we go. So that they may be saved. I should pick up the slack at work because I have a heart to serve others so that they will be thirsty for Jesus. I should show my kids grace so that their friends see how I love my kids and they want to know why our family is different. I should parents on my kids' opposing soccer team so that they want to know Jesus. I should treat my ex with respect because their life is on the line. I know that's tough to swallow. I know that that gets some of us just like choked, like right here. But it is serious. We have a lot of work to do if we're gonna redefine how valuable and critical and important the church is in people's lives. My desire for each one of you is that church does not happen on Sunday mornings, but that it is the epicenter of your life and that your best friendships and relationships stem off of it, your community service is tied to it, your hope and your labors of love, all of it is stemming from the local church. Listen, how many of us have been coming in here and we are sitting together, but we are not walking together. We have to be conscious and intentional about making it different. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble. I cannot be the excuse for someone to not come to Jesus. And unfortunately, that is the case for many, many Christians. We're known for our conservatism. We are known for what we are against. We are known for for how we turn our noses and, and judge other people. And that cannot be the case. We have to do it all to the glory of God so that they may be saved. And listen, this is what I'm ending with. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, But Saul began ravaging the church and assaulting believers, entering house after house and dragging off men and women, putting them in prison. It is never a decision to say, change your reputation. It is never too late to make a decision to say, I want to be different. Saul His name is changed later to Paul. It's a really cool story. You should go read it. It's in Acts. But he was all about killing the church, literally. He was furious at this new uh, fraction, faction of believers called Christians. He was actually a Jewish man, but he was a zealot, and he was fiercely angry about Christians starting to spread their message. And it says that he would ravage the church, assaulting believers and sending them to prison. And that very same man encounters Jesus in a real way and he becomes the founding father of the faith. He becomes the primary voice that we still look to today authoring most of the New Testament 
It is never too late. It is never too late. I want us to stand today. And I don't, we don't ask this often, but I want you to join hands. And I think it's appropriate today talking about the church and, and being a family and being together. I want us to join hands because I want us to recognize that we have to be connected. I want us to recognize that we have to be putting our energy towards the same things. When you are suffering, I am suffering. When you are celebrating, I am celebrating. I want us to pray together today. If you would close your eyes.